0: this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Think about the last book that you read or the one that you're reading now. What have you learned from it? Maybe it was a novel that changed your perspective on the world around you, or perhaps a memoir that taught you something new about yourself. Well, Chicago rapper, actor, and activist Vic Mensa recognizes the power of pages and is using his platform to reinvest in the city's historically disadvantaged communities, including people who are incarcerated. His new initiative, Books Before Bars, looks to provide underserved prison libraries in Illinois with books or tools that he says inmates can use to potentially transform their lives. And Vic Mensa joins us now in studio to talk through his vision for the program. Welcome to Reset, Vic. Hey,
1: thank you for having me. So
0: good to have you here. I've got so many questions, um, but it, it is yeah. it is clear, though, that through this initiative and through your cannabis company, 93 Boys, you're looking to reinvest in your community. Right. Were. So first, why prisons?
1: Cannabis has been criminalized and weaponized to incarcerate so many. I didn't feel it would be responsible or right to enter the cannabis space mm-hmm. legally and ignore how many people's lives have been torn apart behind it. And I feel like the prison is ground zero of America. Like that's the real heart of America. You know what I'm saying? Like that's when America's founding principles are at their most potent. You know what I'm saying? And so many people catch their first charge off some weed. So even if we say we're expunging records for people that had simple possession Mm -hmm. of, of marijuana, um, you can't even quantify the amount of people who might have caught that charge and then we're in a system of surveillance and recidivism and you know, once they got their fangs in you, it's like they're trying to keep you back in. And kind
0: of like a web. Oh, it's of a sorts. web
1: for sure. It's sticky.
0: Why respond with books?
1: Books made sense to me because That's what I've personally been able to send into prisons, and I've seen the radical transformation that people can have when given the right book in that circumstance. I started sending books into the prison when I was 17, and my big homie Ice Face the Goblin, amazing rapper from Chicago. Um, He was incarcerated, you know, one of the first people I knew that was, like, doing a long bid. And I sent him Huey P. Newton, Revolutionary Suicide, because I had just read it recently. Mm -hmm. And Huey talks about how he was mastering his mind and his memories while he was in solitary confinement and essentially liberating his spirit while his body was incarcerated. I sent that to Ice Face. Changed the dynamic of our relationship. I believe it changed his experience while locked up. And since then, whenever my friends are locked up, I'm always sending them books and we'll read them together, you know what I'm saying? And be it like Eckhart Toll or Bell Hooks or Octavia Butler or James Baldwin mm-hmm. uh, across the spectrum. And um I love that. I just see like this transformation in people and that's been one of my primary vehicles of transformation is the things that I learn through literature. And as I was trying to figure out with ninety three boys, how do I do something impactful? for the community that has been most impacted by the war on drugs. And that's yeah. got to be the incarcerated population.
0: You're you're sharing these books with inmates, but what is the book for you that helped change your perspective? Is there is there one that you can think of that in to this, this day you think really transformed your life?
1: In this moment, I read this book last summer called The Game of Life and How to Play It. It's a little metaphysics book by a woman named Florence Shinn written in like the 1920s and when I tell you this little book has done so much to lead me towards radical transformation and changing the ways that I think and the the words I allow myself to say the actions I allow myself to take part in Um, and I gave it to one of my guys at the same time who Mm -hmm. was facing a life sentence in Massachusetts and it really did the same for him and it kind of sent us on this snowball effect where it's like I probably sent him 30, 40 books while he was locked up and I'm reading them while I'm giving them to him and I'm in a whole different space, you know, as a combination of many things. But that little book was really, really a catalyst. Like I'm like sober a year and a half, like really since I read that book, you know, um, changed a lot of things for me. The first book, though, that changed everything for me would be Malcolm X Autobiography when I was 16.
0: What was it about it?
1: The transformation, you know, it was to to go from
0: his transformation, yeah, his transformation yeah. to go
1: from this um, kind of designed toxic lifestyle, you know, of drugs and streets and um, robbery and things that all like I have experienced and I've gone through, you know, through my life, and to watch him go from that and find out how to harness his his power. And go on to be the, you know, shining light that he did. And then to come to the end of the book, go to Mecca, recognize the truth of Islam is beyond black as a race. You know, it's, it's human beings. And to kind of disavow some of his previous ideas that I can't collaborate with white people, like to see him continue to transform throughout the course of his life. That was really, really uh, impactful to me.
0: Who gave you that book? Do you remember?
1: I do remember. It was my big sister, Aja Monet. She's a brilliant poet and playwright and just, you know, creative musician now. Everything. So shout out to Aja Monet. Check her out. She got an album coming out. She actually just launched a a play called Viz for Voices with the creators of the Vagina Monologues that launched in Ghana like yesterday or tomorrow. Oh, you know, Awesome. Um, yeah, she gave me that book, man. And that book was the first one that contextualized my experience as a black man in America and made it make sense to me.
0: Help us understand, um, what do the prison libraries look like right now? Are, Are they well stocked?
1: A lot of prisons do not have libraries. In general, it's very difficult to even send the books into prisons. There are so many hoops to jump through. We've been rejected at almost every turn. Well, tell us about that. what
0: What are they turning back?
1: Sometimes they disallow titles. I mean, you'd be surprised to go. Just Google banned book list prisons. Right. It's like anything that is revolutionary is definitely on the chopping block you know you might get it through but Malcolm X is definitely banned in a lot of places there's a book on quantum physics that I haven't been able to get into any prison I send it really? constantly to my guys and it always gets turned back sometimes or we'll send 10 books and they'll say we got a two book limit to send to one person um you can't send hard covers There's so there's but so quantum many.
0: physics though
1: that one is confusing to me. That one I'm taking as like a larger sign that that book is really powerful because that, that's confusing. It's Joe Dispenza. I don't know why they won't let it in. Um,
0: and, the, and the no hard covers rule, our, is that a safety? Hard covers
1: makes, you know I mean, it makes some sense to me. But overall, it's not about safety. It's about control. You know what I'm saying? It's like the prisons have been on 23-hour lockdowns. It's ridiculously inhumane conditions that people are enduring. They're saying, oh, because we're understaffed uh, because of COVID or something. They have so many excuses to why they don't give people their commissary, to why they don't allow people their phone calls, why they're letting guys only take a shower twice a week. You're only coming out of the cell, you know, at once every few days. Um, I, I think a lot of people don't really grasp that, Slavery fully exists, Mm -hmm. and it's for the men and women that are in prison.
0: What are the inmates saying about this initiative, Books Before Bars?
1: You know, they love it. I mean, I think we're still looking forward to getting some letters back from people that we sent books to individually. But I've been sending these books to my guys personally, and, you know, their their response has just been, been phenomenal you know I mean I think the the most impactful response you can receive is seeing a change in a person you know
0: yeah we'll talk more about that because you 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 mentioned you know getting the right book in the right hand at the right time mm. right is that something that you've witnessed firsthand like, is oh, there a yeah, story there man
1: so the brother that I sent the game of life and how to play it book to as he was facing life you know this is a guy that's had a hard Time, you know, he just was—he was born in federal prison. Actually, his mother was incarcerated in, in the feds, and he was born in federal prison. Caught his first real case when he was 11, and you know, he's probably spent half of, half of his life in and out behind bars, and just a really hardened street dude. But he's a warrior, though. You know, he's a Haitian dude. He comes from that lineage, and I recall before he was locked up just the content of his conversations was, like, often so dark. And it was like everything that's going on in the streets and, you know, people dying and am I going, you know what I mean? Like just tumultuous. And after he read this little book and we started reading some of these other books, we just changed the way that we spoke about things. I saw him really transform in that he wouldn't even – He wouldn't even express or say out loud um, some of the morose and dark and, you know, spiteful and, you know, violent things that he would think to say before because he started to understand the power of his words. You know, it's like the scripture says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. The things that we say come into our reality, the things that we think manifest themselves into the physical. That's that's quantum physics. That's the the basis of it is that observation and energy create matter. And, you know, as we started to understand that, I just saw this dude who was always so fixated on what's going on in the hood and all, you know, I saw him start to be, man, I only want to speak about freedom. I want to speak about faith. I want to speak about victory. You know, I want to speak about discipline. It's
0: like a whole new person.
1: Straight up. Just like, 2.0, you know, like yeah. taking that power because he's a warrior, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of our young guys are warriors, you know what I'm saying? And they're born into a war zone oftentimes. And they are natural warriors, but the way that our communities are structured, you only really have your own people to wage war against. And you're also waging war against yourself in that case. So once you begin to recognize how to harness that power, then you can transform that warrior spirit into uh, fighting for a different purpose.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And we're talking to Chicago rapper Vic Mensa about his cannabis company launching a new initiative called Books Before Bars. And it's aiming to get more reading material into the hands of people who are incarcerated. So, Uvik, as we mentioned, the initiative is from your company, 93 Boys. Now, it's the first black-owned and operated cannabis company in the state. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Give us the backstory there. Like, what prompted you to start it?
1: I've been selling weed since I was 12 years old, like before I was even rapping, you know. And um, it's my first hustle. funded all of my first music programs, honestly taught me entrepreneurship, supply and demand punctuality and as music became a reality for me i kind of fell back on a lot of things but when the laws began to change in illinois i just was like hey man i got to be involved i got to get a seat at the table and not just me like we have to get a seat at the table it's like this industry is um Ninety nine percent, you know, white, especially in Illinois. In Illinois, there's there's like no yeah, it's pretty white minority. It's not even pretty white. It is white. You know what I mean? It's like there's no minority ownership. A couple minority dispensaries have opened within the last month, but it's like the entirety of this process in Illinois has been completely dominated by like white men. You know what I'm saying? And those are the same people that criminalized cannabis in the first place because it was associated with black jazz musicians and Mexican migrant workers. Um, You know, so I was like, man, we got to get in the game. And we just happened to figure it out. You know, it's like we put together the pieces and we're able to make it into the stores like earlier this year as the first cannabis being, you know, sold by a black-owned company in the dispensaries. And Mike Tyson was right behind us and i think that's about it thus far there, there's a company i want to shout out called cronia they've been selling some things like rolling trays and like bongs and some other things but you know nobody has had the opportunity to actually sell cannabis yeah other than yeah white men you know what i'm saying and so it was like man we gotta figure this out like i gotta get, get a in, piece of this yeah oh, I, mean, I gotta get up in there we've been hustling man you mm-hmm. know what i mean it's like We've been hustling since hustling.
0: <laughs> Back to the initiative. I'm I'm curious how the larger Chicago community has responded to to books before bars. I mean, just a quick scan of your social media. I'm just seeing positivity. Is that what you've been getting?
1: That's what's up. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think so. I definitely. A lot of
0: people saying, "Oh man, that's dope."
1: Yeah, I, I like to focus on those things. You know what I mean? And I know it's dope. It's like you can't you can't really hate on that people will find a way but in its in its essence it's like i think public opinion is beginning to shift as it pertains to mass incarceration and the uh farce of justice in america and so i think it's a timely initiative and you know we're just thinking about how do we move forward and take it further man like Something I want to I want to get into next year is expungement because when I first launched Ninety Three Boys I was thinking hey we should expunge all the you know the weed records or you know work yeah. work on that stuff and they were told they told me it was being done automatically um, but as I've just done more research on it I've come to realize that actually to even get the benefit of the law that cannabis is decriminalized now. There are capital barriers. There's an arduous process that you have to go through. You got to, like, really re traumatize yourself in a way. You got to go into police stations to do it. You got to submit background checks, and the process takes, like, can take a year plus. You got to pay money to get fingerprints. How could you charge somebody money to get the benefit of the law? That doesn't sound lawful to me, you know? And So, so.
0: So, where do you think you can help? What we want
1: to do is get a coalition of amplified voices in the cannabis space to put some pressure on the lawmakers to remove all capital barriers to expungement for cannabis charges and just make it easy. Like, Pennsylvania has a precedent for doing this where, for a limited time only, they just had a a website set up where it was easy to go through the process and free. I don't know why it's a limited time, but I'm lobbying that we make that the entire expungement process. It should be online. We do everything online. Why is it that Mm. I have to go into a police station? You know how I feel going into a police station? (laughs) You know what I mean? A little tense? A lot of tense. (laughs) Going into the police station of my own accord? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are like, I'll just keep my charges. You know what I mean? Black people don't have good experiences going into police stations. You know what I mean? You don't know what they're going to do. They might keep me. You know what I'm saying? And so my point being that there shouldn't be all these hoops to jump through and ladders you got to climb to get the benefit of the law that is supposedly created to serve you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, before 93 Boys... Um, before books, before bars, you started a nonprofit, save money, save lives. Yeah, sounds like you're going to continue this work. Everything focusing on ultimately empowering and uplifting these historically marginalized communities. Right? Got to do it. Why is that so important to you? Because I, I was given you. Dang. You don't have to do all of this.
1: I feel like I do though. You know, I mean, I, I feel a responsibility to use my platform and my businesses and my resources to do good. You know, I was at, I was in the mosque yesterday and I was talking to the imam like, like, man, you know, I'm a little stressed. I got all these things I'm doing. A lot of them are for other people. I got my own album. I got, you know, my own music videos and all this stuff that I'm trying to make shake. And at the same time, I got all this stuff that, like, I'm doing that doesn't pay me nothing. Um, right. And, you know, he was just like, he was like, look, God sees good. Good is rewarded with good. You know, I believe that I've been given the opportunity to do good in the world and help people. Um, And I've also had good done to me. I had mentors in Chicago that didn't have to be telling me I was dope when I was 13 years old rapping Mm -hmm. and, like, running community programs and music programs. Uh, U Media at the library, DYN on the south side. I had these people that poured into me, you know? Yeah. And so I think it's, like, my responsibility to pay it forward where I can. And I think, honestly, if you're in cannabis and you're not doing something to acknowledge the harm done on the back mm-hmm. of cannabis, you bogus to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you know what you're stepping into. You know that this has been used to destroy us. It's like if you just are purely for self in this space. Not to judge nobody, not to judge nobody, but I do think that this is one area where you really should have some outward-facing community engagement if you're going to be selling legal cannabis and people are literally
0: still locked up for it right now. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your music because I got to go there. Many of us know you for that, right? So can you tease? Is there anything that's coming up?
1: Yes, my second full-length album is completed, and right now I'm shooting the videos and doing the artworks, and that's really, really what I'm focused on at the same time as you know all these other things. Um, so knocking that out, that's coming out in the first couple months of this upcoming year. It's mm-hmm. been done for a while. We're going to be performing some music from it, some of the new music at festival that i'm organizing in ghana on january 6th okay. with chance brought him to ghana in january and you know we just built this gigantic international festival that's
0: that's wonderful
1: happening in a couple weeks and um yeah that's crazy you know what i mean so i'm excited for that psyched stressed we'll look forward you to know it. inspired all at the same all time the things. You know?
0: We'll leave it there. Vic Mensa a Chicago rapper and creator of the Books Before Bars initiative. Thank you so much for joining us. We Thank appreciate this. Thank you for this. having me. And I want to go out on one of your tracks because, of course, you've got Vic Mensa in the studio. you got to hear go. some of his music, of course. Here's Reverse.
1: Okay, cool.